humanity has an age-old obsession with the end of the world. That obsession is why we're here as explorers. You're one of the first people to set foot in this dark new world. And you're about to start on a journey you'll never forget. Welcome to today's episode of Ash Tales, the podcast where we explore what life might just look like at the end of everything. Today, my good friend Josh Moynihan is back to narrate one of Ash Tales' darkest, grittiest tales to date. A story of underpaid busy work, mental health crises, and unbelievable religious miracles. Lakeside Doomsday Cult is written by New Zealand author Benjamin Blake, and the subject matter, tone, and language of today's story gets a solid not-safe-for-work rating from me, so consider yourself warned. Now, it's over to Josh and Benjamin for today's story. I step through the door clearly marked fire exit, and the cold December air wraps around me like an icy blanket. I fumble in my jacket pocket for a beat-up pack of camel lights, find them, and light one. This is as close as I've got to quitting, switching from regular to lights. That's pretty much life, isn't it? When you're a kid you aspire to being a doctor, you grow up to be a nurse. Hell. Sometimes I still wonder how I made it that far, with all the pot I was smoking in college. I stand puffing furiously on my cigarette, trying to get in as much nicotine as I can in such a short amount of time. I swear to God I'm the worst employee in the continent. I get off in half an hour, and here I am slacking off for a fucking smoke. Christ. The snow has stopped falling for now. The gloomy black clouds have gone their separate ways leaving a strangely pretty dusk. A deep orange with streaks of smoke-like charcoal, carving the late-year Canadian sky into a god-sized jack-o'-lantern. My thoughts are penetrated, then shattered by the badly ageing intercom speakers crackling and hissing a demand. All staff to Ward 5, Room 3, immediately. Oh Christ. Room three is where a loony guy from some hardcore Christian settlement on the edge of town is temporarily residing. Rumour is that it's a borderline cult, and they're all obsessed with the idea that the end of the world is coming, and that angels are going to descend to earth and save all that have faith, leaving the rest of us to burn for eternity in hell. Which is what earth will apparently become during the whole party, or some such bullshit. I take one last drag. Inhale deeply, then let the thick blue smoke drift lazily from my mouth before discarding the wasted cigarette on the asphalt and heading back inside to see what all the fuss was about. I make a pit stop at one of the staff bathrooms to piss and to stash my jacket so I don't get busted slacking off. The man that stares back at me from the speckled mirror looks tired. Actually, tired is an understatement. More like the living dead. 
Five days shadow strewn across his lower face, hair sticking up in tufts at odd angles, looking like he just dragged his sorry ass out of bed. Where the hell did those crow's feet come from? Some giant hourglass-wielding corvidae that comes in the night and curses us all with our own mortality. I squint and grimace as I notice that salt flecks are already beginning to be laced with the pepper in my once jet-black hair. Hell, I'm only twenty-seven, too. I run some lukewarm water into my cupped hands so it forms a small pool, then splash it into my face. My energy levels have gone to the dogs in the past year or so. Constantly groggy and lethargic. I've tried iron supplement pills and eating more red meat, but it's been to no avail. Nothing seems to make a difference. I rub my eyes and spit into the chipped hand basin and head out of the bathroom. The religious night is really flipping out this time. Three nurses are trying their best to sedate him but failing miserably, as he's thrashing about like the madman he is. Luckily, his wrists are cuffed to the metal bed. Crazy bastard's trouble, that's for certain. He arrived here a couple days ago, brought in by the cops after a showdown in the local chapter's bookstore. Apparently he had strolled in, jumped up onto the counter, and started preaching to the poor folk who had just wanted to buy a new paperback to read on the cold Manitoban winter's day. By what the cops said, he had really gone to town as well, like waving his arms about and raving about end times. Old Jim, the store's owner, told him to get the hell out or he'd call the cops. But that only seemed to work him up even more. He started screaming like a banshee, pushed old Jim onto his ass then dropped to his knees, gibbering to himself in tongues. Jim got back up, grabbed a huge English dictionary from a shelf, and clobbered him around the head with it. Then he called the cops. They arrived, put him in cuffs, bleeding nose and all, and took him over here. To be honest, I think they just didn't want to deal with him down at the station, which I don't blame them for. But the fucker really needs to be in a psych ward. Problem is, the doctor who does the admissions down the road is on vacation in Seattle, seeing his family or something. So for the time being, the lovely people at Lakeside General are stuck with him. God damn it, Bobby. Are you just going to stand there? Victoria, one of the nurses, shouts, unable to suppress the exasperation in her voice. I found I've had a few closer moments with Victoria on her night shift when there's not much to do. One of these days, fingers crossed, I wish the same could be said for the other two. One's a she-dragon, who must have lived here when Lakeside was just a few Matisse teepees pitched on the southwest side of the river. The other is a sour-faced woman named Cynthia, who really has it in for me and always looks like she has a mouthful of lemon juice. Bobby! I have a terrible habit of zoning out a lot, you know, just getting lost in thought. It can happen mid-sentence. I'll just blank out. I manage to grab his legs and hold them down so the she-dragon can administer the sedative. Though I wouldn't mind seeing her kicked in the stomach. Or the ice queen, Cynthia, either, come to think of it. The fucker's writhing around like crazy, even though I have his ankles in a death grip. 
he kicks free of my hold and plants a firm kick straight in the belly of the she-dragon, causing her to drop the sedative before she can dose him up. A horrible choking sound comes from her throat. She clutches at her stomach and drops to the ground, winded. I guess wishes do come true. Though, I do feel a slight pang of pity for the old girl. Christ, he's really wound up now. Eyes wide as saucers and raving in a frenzy. Our Lord will take us to the promised land. We who hold the faith and serve, serve the Lord with all our pure hearts. Almighty Lord, Heavenly Father, the sinners and unbelievers will fall to your sickle of glory and bathe in the rivers of blood and fire and burn, burn, burn. All this wretched earth will become the new hell. You will all spend eternity here for your blasphemous ways. Your squalor-filled souls will atone for your malevolence. Blah, blah, fucking blah. We get the point, Charlie Manson. His bed is rattling like the chains of an old ghost from a forgotten chain gang. The she-dragon is still on the ground in a sorry pile. Cynthia has run off somewhere, probably to try and get help, though I'm not sure who she thinks she is going to find. Maybe she'll call the Ghostbusters. That leaves Victoria, who is standing there looking pretty damn helpless. Come on, Vic. Let's get this loony under control. Grab that sedative from the floor. It's over there by the window. The fluorescent tube lighting on the ceiling starts to crackle and flicker and the other vacant beds in the room seem to have started shaking also. The previous patients got moved to the next room after the fruitcake got moved in. I try and make sense of the situation. Surely our religious buddy isn't freaking out hard enough to shake the other beds, and definitely not enough to screw with the wiring. And then it hits me. The painfully obvious answer. A goddamn earthquake. Though... It's pretty rare to have one in these parts. Victoria, better find somewhere to take cover. I think we have an earthquake on our hands now too. Oh shit, you really think? Suddenly, it seems like the sky has exploded. Globes of burning orange sail across the night, burning bright and blinding, then dropping straight downward. It was as if the stars were falling to their death. It was the most horrible sound I had ever heard unfathomably loud. It was as if all the cars in the continent had collided simultaneously, and then some. Then silence. Everything was dead quiet. The window shattering made no sound. The cracks that tore across the plaster walls gave no noise. I'm thrown off my feet and into the wall with a severe force, by what I guess is some kind of shockwave, sliding down and crumpling in a pitiful pile on the linoleum. Vision is blurred, and I'm feeling strangely euphoric. I can make out the shape of Victoria across the room, also in a pile on the floor, though there is a puddle of seeping crimson circling her. I believe I'm crying out to her, but I have no way of knowing if I actually am or not. Breathing seems to be slowing. Everything is flickering like my grandfather's 16mm home movies dancing sprites of burning light across the surface of staggered sight. Christ, my head's beginning to hurt. Feels like the worst hangover of a lifetime. Like passing out after a bottle and a half of Canadian club and a handful of pills. Then waking up six hours later to an alarm blaring like an air raid siren. And you manage to pull your sorry ass out of bed 
only to find you're all out of painkillers and Alka-Seltzer. Fuck. Victoria. You know, maybe I could have actually had something with her. She's a nice girl, the type of girl you could happily call into bed beside every night and not wake up regretting it. Or should I say was? Past tense is probably more accurate now. I must be becoming borderline delusional. The blow to my head screwing something up in my brain because a figure is descending through the fractured ceiling. Oh shit, I'm losing it. The figure is a man with blonde hair and little curls and chiselled features. Imagine Michelangelo's David growing wings and flying off into the evening. Wings? Shit. The man has fucking wings. He's hanging in the air above the lunatic's bed. He smiles. The most beautiful thing I have ever seen. Then flaps his feathered wings and drops closer to him, about a foot or two above the bed. Light is starting to seep through the ceiling, tender and pale. He reaches out and takes him in his arms, cradling him like a small, sick child. He looks into the angel's eyes, and tears are streaming down his face. They ascend back through the ceiling, and into the chaos of the sky. I can feel a warm trickling down my neck. I must have cracked my skull. Growing fainter. Growing very faint. It's ending. I can feel the life leaving me. It's ending. It's ending. It's beginning. And that's all from another episode of Ash Tales. Thanks go again to Benjamin Blake, author of today's story, and to Josh Moynihan for narrating. Don't forget to check out ashtales.com for more end-of-the-world stories, and check out our newly overhauled mailing list. You can stay up to date with new stories and even books from Ash Tales, and get involved with a couple of cool new projects we have in the works. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time.